Living a religious way of life can be hard. It can grind you down. Maybe you feel ground down today by burdens placed on you, not only by work or family or your social commitments, by actually by your religion, if I could put it that way. You may look at people around you who get two days of weekend and you have to go and worship on a Sunday. Oh. Maybe you get a bit ground down by um, emails from church or, or uh, committees or rotors that you're, you, you did sign up to be part of, but it can really weigh on you after a while. Jesus told a famous story about a son who felt hemmed in and restricted by the, the way of life that he had chosen but he felt trapped by. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Should we pray together? Our Father, we did pray a moment ago, uh, but I pray again that you'd give me words that are, are true and pleasing in your sight. And for all of us, we pray we would, we would apprehend and understand this story such that you'd lead us into the feast and into the freedom of your, our Father's house. So we pray it through the merits of Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 25, it's on page 1049, Luke 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I went to a family wedding last month and uh, you know how it is, everyone eats and is very full and then the music starts in the evening and I had decided that day I am not going to dance. I'm not going to join in with any of that dancing. Uh, I was feeling grumpy and um, Sarah couldn't be with me at the wedding so I just felt like, oh, who would I dance with anyway? You know, I've, got, I've, got, I've got no reason to dance and I, just, I decided I was going to be one of those people who sit at, at the back of the, of, the, of the wedding dance. You know, they're there um, but they just watch everybody else dance and I thought, well, that's going to be me for tonight so I can't dance and I don't want to dance. But the band were really good. They were, like, they were really good. They were like half made up of ushers, which made extra fun. And, and um, they were like really high quality music, songs that I really like. And uh, my mum was there. She was dancing. My sisters were there. They were dancing. Everybody's dancing. It was basically just me being grumpy at the back. Do you think I cracked? Did I dance? Yes, I did. I, abs I absolutely did. It took me a little while. I sort of checked, checked my phone a few times and bought a drink and sipped that. And then I thought, oh, I'm just going to join in. So I made my ungainly way to the dance floor and, and really enjoyed a really fun night. It's a bit like that with this feast, isn't it? You know, there's the older brother standing outside the feast. He's 
very grumpy, determined not to join in. I mean, he's got principles, reasons for not wanting to join in with that party over there and the music and the dancing. And yet the father comes out and says, come on, like, join in with, this is a day for celebrating. This is a day to be glad. Your brother was dead practically and he's alive again. And we don't know how it ends. You notice that? It's, it's a total cliffhanger. Jesus doesn't give the conclusion to this story. You don't know. And it's for that reason that uh, many people find this story incredibly engaging. They can, they can see themselves, often in, in both of the sons, actually. We're having this discussion in my house. I, can, I, I think the, way, the reason it's genius is because I can imagine myself in both of those characters. But often for a Christian who's been around church for a while, they can often see themselves in the older son. I'd see the, some of the build-up in him and the tiredness. Oh, but I also see the joy of just going in and enjoying the father's generosity. This, of course, is the climax of the story. I mean, Jesus, I rather artificially just cut you off last week and we just looked at the younger sons, finished at verse 24. But Jesus, of course, told this story so that he could get to this bit. This was always supposed to be the, the, the climax of it all. So the plot twist happens here. But there's this older brother and he doesn't go in. If I were to try and sum up Jesus' point, I'd put it like this. God is pleading for proud Pharisees to come home. Come home. Come into the party. Remember, we said last week, he, uh, from the start of chapter 15, he's directing this story at the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They were the strict religious sects who couldn't understand Jesus' welcome to immoral people. And we saw last week that both, both groups of people were lost. The, 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 the morally wayward, the tax collectors and sinners, they lost, but more obviously so. But so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they, they too were lost. And Jesus wanted them to come in. And I would want you to know this affects me rather personally. I mean, I have sort of I've seen this sermon coming down the, down the line for a couple of months. I find that in Christian leadership, you, you ha- there, there is perhaps inevitably something of the older brother, you know, the, the one who's tried, tried to do quite a lot for quite a while for the cause. But you can, mm, you can sort of go off course a little bit. And maybe if you've got any position of leadership here in the church, you feel a bit of that. You're involved in home groups, eldership, church wardens, PCC, leading any sort of ministry, maybe you, you, you two detect the, the drift towards being a grumpy older brother. And therefore, I hope this will be a real joy to you as we look at how, how is it then that I can stop sulking outside and come back in. I put some circles on your sermon sheet like we had last week. So if that would help you, then, it, then it's there for you. Three main circles. There's the father, the younger son, and the older son. And because we looked at the younger son last week, I'm not going to turn again to him. So really, the the two characters that are in black we're going to look at today, we'll look at the oldest son, and then we're going to look at the father. And then there is just a mystery we need to examine before we finish, okay? So, oldest son, father, mystery. Firstly, oldest son. Verse 25 goes like this. Have you still got that in front of you? Or just listen carefully if you prefer. Meanwhile, the eldest son was in the field... When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So how do you know then if you are this older brother type? Well, there are five symptoms on display here, so I'll run through them and you can use it as a bit like a symptom checklist. He is angry, demanding, joyless, proud and confused. 
So we'll just take a look at each of those. He's angry, demanding, joyless, proud, and confused. Firstly, he's angry, because it says in verse 28, the elder brother became angry and refused to go in. Perhaps he had a sort of simmering anger already, and the situation with the feast just got him to boiling point. It was like the pan just overflowed with, with anger. And if, if you are generally resentful of God anyway, then um, some sort of suffering in your life can often just turn up the heat sufficiently that your, your pot boils over. You know, oh, why have you done this to me? I've been serving you for so long and suddenly you've hit me with this illness or this circumstance or this situation and you blow your top. Or it, it, it can be good fortune in somebody else. Why have you done that for them? I've been serving you all along. Why have you gone and given them that gift when, I, when I've been so careful and so diligent? You see, but either way, you know, the, top, the top goes off. You get angry. Second symptom, he's demanding. Verse 29 says, he answered his father, look. Not a classic way to address your dad. Is it? You know, that, is, that is rude in any culture and particularly in, in that ancient Middle Eastern culture. Very demanding, totally lacking in affection. And if, if you have a, a sort of older brother prayer life, then it can be demanding rather than affectionate. So I was helped by um, someone pointing out, imagine three different acquaintances in your life. Imagine a colleague, a friend, and a lover. With the colleague, you tend to just ask them, you have quite a tit-for-tat, like quite fairly efficient relationship. Can I have this? Can you do that? They give it to you. You get irritated if they don't deliver it on time. So it, it's, it's a bit like pray, you know, asking God for things in prayer. Please, God, I have that. Thank you very much. With a friend, it's more, more vulnerable, more affectionate. So you might say to a friend... Um, I did this wrong, I, I just, I'm embarrassed and ashamed, or I'm sorry, I hurt you. And it's like that in prayer, you know, we have confession. You might say to God, I'm sorry for the way that I've um, sinned. But with a lover, with, with, with someone you're really in love with, you naturally drift towards adoration and affection. So you, you, and you find yourself saying, I love you. <laughs> Do you know what, I really love this about you, and I really appreciate that about you, because it just, it just comes out of you uh, naturally if you love somebody. And so too, the, the older brother finds it hard to get to that stage in prayer because they don't love the father. But uh, the, 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 the true older brother finds it a natural thing because they love God, you see? They, they don't just want God's stuff, they want God. So they're not so demanding. Third symptom is that uh, he's joyless. So verse 29, all these years I've been slaving for you. The whole of his life has become this sort of monochrome grind, slaving for you. He's, he's, actually, he's, he's just been working in the family business, but he's, oh, I've come to see it, this, this friction-based slavery. When actually, of course, if you consider the dad in the story, he's just super generous. He's generous at the start, he's generous in the middle, he's generous at the end, because that's what God is like. If you were here two years ago, do you remember as a church we did the generosity project? And I was really struck by one of the simple points that were made in, in our home groups then that... Uh, God is minute by minute generous. He's just so generous to all of creation. And um, God is the God of the agapanthus and the artichoke. You know, he's just, he's just generous with, with creation. God is the God of the honeybee and the honey. He just, he just loves to give to, to creation, minute by minute, morning by morning, sunset by sunset, wave after wave, season after season. And God, it's like God takes a great delight in being generous. Not to mention in our story, I mean, the older son lived with the father. He was like up close and proximate to the generosity of his father, but he just couldn't see it. It had been grayed out and become bitter. Whereas life with God is actually never boring or, or tiring if you can just see what he's like. He's infinitely alive and generous. 
So we're saying the oldest son, he was angry and demanding and joyless. Fourth symptom, uh, he was proud. So verse 29 says, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, never once. Now look, this is a made up story, right? That Jesus brilliantly made up. So I hesitate to press all the details entirely. However, I do think this is the heart of the issue for a Pharisee. And Jesus was of course talking to Pharisees. They were, they were proud. If you think it through, I wonder whether the, whether the older son's complaint was true. All these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. I think that could be true. What do you reckon? I, I think on paper it might be true. He'd always done what dad asked him to, always went out into the field, always got the harvest in, always did the dutiful older son thing. So what's his problem then? Because he's telling the truth. I've never disobeyed your orders. His problem is pride. Because he's so proud of never having disobeyed your order, his orders, he's actually warped his heart and got him to this incredibly grumpy place where he's like, I can't enjoy this family anymore because I deserve so much more than him. So he actually stands outside the feast, with his, I imagine with his arms folded, saying, if I go into that feast, then I'm just going to be the same as that younger brother cretin of mine. I'm just going to be on exactly the same equal footing, whereas actually I'm better than him. Actually, I perform better than him, so I deserve more than him. Where, do you see? So it's, it's an issue of pride, and pride is very subtle. It goes right down into the root of your heart. I um, read a story which helpfully brings this out, so um, allow me this one. Uh, I was told a story of a, a, a great king, and the great king had a gardener, and the gardener grew a ginormous carrot, let's say, a ginormous carrot in, his, in, the, in the royal garden. And the, king, uh, the gardener loved the king, he admired the king and his wisdom and his generosity, so he brings the carrot to the king, and he says, your majesty, I've grown this enormous carrot and I wanted to give it to you as a gift because I love you. And the king is quite touched and he says, thank you. I really appreciate that thoughtful gift. Do you know what? I've got a plot of land which is next to the palace and I would like you to have it and you dig it over and you use it to grow more vegetables. I can see that you enjoy this. And the gardener, wow, I can't believe you are even more wise and wonderful than I thought. And um, he goes away happy. But at the side of the room, there, there is a nobleman who's been listening to the whole exchange. And the nobleman thinks, if that's what you get for a carrot. And so the next day he comes back and he's leading this enormous stallion, massive horse. And he says, oh king, you are so wise and wonderful. I love you and admire you. And I brought this finest horse in, in all my stables. And he gives it to the king. And the king simply says, thank you. That's it. And the nobleman, after an awkward silence, turns to walk away. I expected more. I thought I was going to get something for that. And the king sees the look on his face and his demeanor, and he calls him back, and he says, let me explain to you. Yesterday, the gardener gave me the carrot, but today you gave yourself the horse. See what's going on there? The king, he could see right through his motives. He says, I see why you, give, you gave me this gift. It's all to do with you and what you could get out of it. It's, it's all to do with you being on the make. Whereas the other guy did it, he just did it because he loved me. You see how subtle sin is? You could, you, could, you could do a lot. You could look very dutiful, like a dutiful nobleman. But your motives are twisted. It's like at the root of a plant. It's like bitter all the way down to the root. We have confessions in church almost every week. And uh, you know when we, we, we habitually do confession together? Some days you can sit in church and the leader will say, let's pray a prayer of confession. You might like to think about the things you've done wrong this week. And you can, whew, you can have this mind blank. 
don't think I've done anything wrong this week. I, I mean, maybe, I just can't think of anything. Even then, a Christian who knows this story can say, Lord, my motives are so twisted and tangled that right down to the root, I'm all, I'm all mixed up. Right down to the heart of myself, I'm proud. And then from that place of humility, you can come to God and say, but I, I love you. Why, why do you love me? Why would you love someone as tangled and twisted as me? See, it's amazing. And there you, I'm beginning to be in a place where I just love God all the more. So there's the older son. He is, oh, we haven't done one more symptom. Okay, hang, hang on a minute. Uh, we were talking about his pride. Um, f- fifth symptom, he's confused. He just, he can't understand grace. So uh, he stands outside the feast and he says, verse 30, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. And uh, maybe you're like that. If you've, if you've come out of any sort of rules-based religion, I came out of Roman Catholicism as a youngster. I couldn't understand grace for a long time. So I found myself standing, thinking in the older son's words, or translate, why have you killed the fattened calf for him? Or, forgive me, Jasmine, um, but this, that story was so moving. Why does she get welcomed? She's done all of that. And the father says, it's because I love her. I love you as well. So he's very confused about grace. I've just finished um, reading some books with one of my children called The Wing Feather Saga. And... Uh, here you go. And um, it's really it's a, it's a series of children's books, but I completely loved it. I got to the last page earlier this week and tears and could hardly you know, read it to, to one of my children as we went through the story. Um, it's a story. Of, um, there's all sorts of interesting characters. This by Andrew Peterson, but um, essentially at the heart of it all, there's two brothers. There's uh, an elder brother, Janna, and there's a younger brother, Kalmar. And um, guess what? The older brother is kind of dutiful, he sort of mostly does the right thing, he's, he's quite law-abiding, and oh, can you imagine what the younger brother is like? He's pretty wayward, and he just goes off with flights of passion, and sure enough, he does kind of screw up his life. But um, towards the end of the books, he's, he is the one who's able to bring lots and lots of other broken people with him, and, and, and he, he's got this tenderness about him which attracts others. Anyway, I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but there is a moment near the very end of the whole series where the older brother is sitting there. The younger brother's actually gone in to talk with the maker, and he's sitting outside, and he's left to think. And uh, he has a moment. After more than an hour, Janna understood something about his own heart. He was deeply, blatantly selfish. In so many situations, from Glipwood to the Deeps to Nag's ship, whenever he had unleashed his frustration at the maker, he had been thinking more of himself than anyone or anything else. Even in the performance of his duties, he thought mainly of his own dutifulness. In his courageous moments, he thought of his courage. Only in his pain and despair did he turn his attention to the maker, and then it was only to demand answers or outcomes. See, so the the lens, the focus, the spotlight of his own internal monologue was always on him, but... um, he was learning to look, at, look, look with wonder at the maker's generosity. Maybe that's your story too with God. The, the, so the older son, he is um, angry and demanding, joyless, proud and confused. Life has been a com- competition the whole time when actually his father's house was not a competition, it's a celebration. 
the two sons are more like than they first appeared. Right, for the sake of time, we have to move on. Um, the father. Look with me at the father, okay? The father gets the last word. And the father is the, the beautiful one in the story. See how tender he is, verse 31. His first words are not, bah, you've really wound me up today, but my son. See how close he is. You are always with me, he says. See how generous he is. He says, everything I have is yours. See how determined he is to celebrate with his other son's return in verse 32. He says, Look, we had to celebrate and be glad. So it's a fascinating combination there. Like, um, I hear you, I see you. I'm also going to absolutely carry on being generous to, to that. I'm not going to deviate from that because of your tantrum. That's the father. Uh, many of you will know Matt Glenn, who was a member of the church here until they moved uh, back to Australia not long ago. It turns out that um, Matt Glenn has a very generous mum, and that he, he, he said I could just share this lovely story about his mum. Apparently his mum was just enjoying, in, in Matt's adult life, just paying for things, just offering money and gifts and contributions to Matt and his family. And he was a bit embarrassed. He said, like, oh, mum, you don't have to do that. Just, you don't need to pay for things. You know, I'm a grown-up now. You don't have to do that. And after um, some years of this, I, she stopped him one day and she said, Matt, please stop doing that. You're, you're actually spoiling my joy in generosity. I really want to do this for you and your family because I love you. So stop complaining about it and just let me, let me give you. Oh, apparently that did the trick. He, just, he was able to receive it with a real joy. And uh, God is there. He's this generous parent. You know, he's saying, Look, I just want you to come in. <laughs> just stop spoiling this party and just come in and enjoy my generosity. Jesus is doing that with the Pharisees. And the great news is, my friend, we haven't even exhausted the generosity of God yet. I mean, this is just chapter 15 of Luke's gospel. We haven't even read to the last bit, which um, is about the atonement and the resurrection. There is actually an extra mystery to explore here. Do you remember I said there was a mystery? I've put a, a, a circle, an extra circle on your paper, which is kind of like hiding behind the older brother. Can you see that? Because there is in this story, I think, this mystery extra character who is the true older brother. He is actually the one narrating the story. And the reason it's such a beautiful story is because there's this elder brother who totally gets the dynamic and sees how to fix the situation. Jesus Christ is that true older son. He's the true firstborn son. He paints a vivid picture of the two lost sons and then he comes to welcome them both home. Do you remember um, two weeks ago we did the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and that's what starts off chapter 15? Remember those two stories? There is, there's a seeker in each story. So there's the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep and there's the woman who goes after the lost coin. Familiar? Curiously, you don't get a seeker in the prodigal son story. Isn't that weird? You sort of expect there to be the seeking character. Well, it seems to me that Jesus is the one who came to seek and to save the lost, which is exactly what it says in Luke chapter 19. So if, imagine with me, there's this extra character. There's this, there's this extra brother that we didn't know about from the cast list. What would he be like? Well, the younger brother still goes off and he demands the inheritance and squanders all the money. What does the true elder brother do? He doesn't stay sulking and, and working grimly in the field. I reckon the true older brother goes looking for the younger one, doesn't he? Oh my goodness, there's been a famine. What about my little brother? You know, he's, he's, he's probably in trouble. I'll go looking for him. What's Jesus Christ like? Well, he, he comes to this distant planet, Earth, 
He comes looking for all the lost sons and daughters of God and he says, come on guys, come home to the father. He's much better than you even imagined. The younger son comes home and what does the true older brother do? Wait, he's not grumpy and miserable. He's, he's partaking in the generosity and the feast. The father says, quick, get the ring and the robe and the fattened calf. What does the true older brother do? He might think, that's mine. Father, you signed all that inheritance over to me. That's, that's my stuff that you're offering to him. And the true older brother says, absolutely. Let me share my inheritance with you, little bro. You see how, you see how Jesus behaves? He totally gets it and he's, he's totally doing it in real life anyway. Jesus Christ, the son with the heart of the father, came to seek and to save the lost. Loves the God and not just the stuff. So we need to finish. What's God's invitation to you this morning? Well, you tell me, actually. I just need a bit of your help here. There's a word that keeps coming up. So do you have a Bible? Verse 23. It says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and what? Celebrate. Exactly. Verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Exactly. Verse 32. But we had to what? celebrate and be glad so this theme keeps coming through so God's invitation to you celebrate and be glad celebrate God's generosity it's a bit like me at that wedding you know you could stay grumpily on the outskirts of this great big feast or given that it's happening anyway you know given that God is going to be like this whether you like it or not given that his heart is going to overflow with gratitude you could just join in you could just decide to have a great time and enjoy the bounty of your heavenly father this, of course, is the antidote to feeling burdened with religion like we started out with. It's the Father's generous heart. What does it mean in practice? Well, I think it affects the way you see the world, you see life, you see the church, and you see the Father. It affects the way you see the world because older sons see the world as a competition. Jesus doesn't see the world as a competition. I mean, he could. He could, he could just totally beat everybody in the human race at a competition, but he doesn't. He doesn't compete with anyone. He sees it as a celebration of his father's goodness. So if you basically see work as a competition, you don't have to. If you, if you see marriage or your relationship as a competition, you don't have to do that. It could just be a celebration of, of the God's generosity to other people. Friendship is not a competition where you have to take pride in your superiority over others while maintaining a veneer of niceness. We just live in a theater of God's grace. If you are competing with somebody at the moment, then you could just lay that down before God today. Lord, I've just been trying to win against so-and-so. I've had enough. Just could you take that from me? So that's the world. Um, you, could, you could see life the way Jesus sees life. I, um, I was listening to an interview on the radio this week, and um, they were talking about how we all need sitcoms in our life because life is a bit bleak. Uh, and you need some light relief sometimes. I see their point, and I certainly wouldn't want to make life of the light of the bleakness of life, but do you see how God is glad? Life is actually glad because God is so generous. He's organizing a lavish feast. So if you are bored or bleak at the moment, if you despair of your career or your situation or about life itself, then instead of just plowing into another Netflix series, you know, in, instead of just taking up another hobby or a sitcom just to try and get some light relief, 
Why not just enjoy what God is doing in the world? There is a way of engaging with mission through giving or through direct involvement that is just joyful. You could see church the way Jesus sees church. Older brothers tend to see church in in terms of what's being asked of them. Oh, I have so many things that I've been asked to do around here. But Jesus sees the church in terms of the love of the Father and how many people are being brought into the feast. So although there will always be practical things that need doing, although it's sometimes sensible to say, "I, I I can't do any more. Next time you feel a bit weary of it all, try and step back and ask, what is God doing in this committee in this church service, in this arena of church, because I bet, he's, I bet he's leading sinners home. And finally, you could just see the Father the way Jesus sees his Father, which I think is the best of all. You may have all sorts of ideas about God. You, know, you may have built up lifetimes of assumptions, maybe misconceptions from art galleries or other churches or assumptions that you've made, but when the true older brother comes and tells you what the father is like, that's, that's real. That's what God is like. He's happy. He's generous. He throws a feast. He welcomes people. And maybe for you, actually, you're, you're basically sulking. I'm sulking outside, waiting for God to do something awesome for me so that I can have more stuff, improve my circumstances. When you need to come in and remember what God is like. Let's pray together. Father God, we are all lost. It's just some of us are a really, really long way away, and it's obvious, and some of us are just sulking outside the door. Lord, we we see the heart of God here. We see the lavish love of the Father, and I pray that you would bring bring us in, Father. If it's the first time, then bring us into the feast and overwhelm us, we pray, with the generosity and the grace of God. If it's if it's just a, a return homecoming, Father, if, if we've been sulking and we need to humble ourselves and come back in, then I pray there'd be a lot of joy for my brothers and sisters in returning to the party today. We love you. We love, we love who you are. And we pray you'd lead us deeper into the, the music and the dancing of your grace. Amen.